Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the fifth chapter of the book of James as we conclude our series in the book of James this morning. I want to pick up in verse 7 of that chapter. I'm going to read our text over us. It is good to see you this morning. If you're a guest with us, we are grateful that you would be part of what we are doing as a church as we celebrate the Christmas season. Beginning in verse 7 of James chapter 5. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the, the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets and who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and He is merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes mean yes and let your no mean yo, not yo. Let your no mean yo. Let your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. Verse 13. Is anyone among your, you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they, should, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that prayer know, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. As we walk through the book of James, we have noticed that this is about a, the idea that faith should be working, that if we are going to follow Jesus, that there are to be things that take place in our life that communicate that we follow Jesus, because followers follow. That's what you do. That's how the play of words works. And if we're walking through this chapter this morning, finishing up our study in James, here are the four things that we see from the text. In verses 7 through 11, we see the idea of struggling patiently, to struggle patiently. In verse 12, we see speaking plainly. In verses 13 through 18, we see prayer, pray consistently. And in verses 19 and 20, we see shepherd care caringly, or to care lovingly. Uh, to struggle patiently. Pa patience is a major portion of what James is communicating to us in this text that we are getting to walk through together as a faith family today. The importance of waiting. And we actually see that as we consider what it means to celebrate the, the season of Christmas. We as a group of people who believe in what God has done in Emmanuel, God with us, are saying that we are still waiting for God to return, for Jesus to come and take us home. But on the front side of that, we see the idea of patient waiting, and we also see impatient waiting. 
Christmas is all about patience or impatience. We see it in every person who looks at what is underneath a Christmas tree. We see it when we look into the Bible and we know that between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there is this allotted 400 years where they are waiting for God to send their deliverer. We see it as we look at the nation of Israel as they are sitting underneath Roman oppression, waiting for God to send the one who will be their Messiah. We see it as we consider what's going to take place in just a few days as children go to packages that have been pristinely wrapped and they destroy them like feral animals. We see it all around. We as our family this year, we will celebrate Christmas on December the 26th like animals. We're going to wait a day because on December the 24th, if you are unfamiliar, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service here. My family will get into the minivan and we will drive from here to South Mississippi to celebrate the Christmas season. We will pack it up with all of the gifts from here that have not been delivered by Santa Claus. We will pack it up with clothes for the trip. We will also have some tamales because we have been in Texas for two and a half years and that is embedded in our new Christmas tradition. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Uh, We are going to move across the state and our children are going to patiently wait to open their gifts. We look at this text and we see the idea of a waiting that is there. But the waiting that the people of, that James writes to in this scattered church at Jerusalem is not waiting to open a gift. It's not even, it is a waiting for God to return in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their hardship, for God to come through, for God to be God and remove them from the difficulties that they're facing. We see it as the world that we live in wants to obliterate and destroy the idea of patience. Please tell me how many of us like to wait. How many of us like to look around and think through, oh, if, if what I wanted could just be here right now. That's why we have phones that we stare at while we're in the grocery line. That's why we move to the fastest lane in, as we drive from one place to the other. But as this passage talks to us about waiting, it's a waiting that's different. It's not a waiting to get the job or to get the girl or to get the degree. The idea of patience in this passage is waiting on the Lord. And you see God allowing James to show us the importance of patience throughout. We see it in verse 7 and when we're told to be patient. In verse 8, we're told again to be patient because the time, this time, this tone is crucial. The third one that we see is when God says to us to strengthen our hearts. In verse 9, don't complain against each other. Again, affirming the idea of patience. Verse 12, you see, do not swear an oath is again the idea of us being patient people. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You look at the passage, though, when you're walking through the, the examples that James gives to us about patience, and he tells us about a farmer. If we're unfamiliar with farmers, they are patient people. And for the Jewish people, the idea of patience in regard to farming was incredibly important because rain mattered, as it does for every farmer. When I was in Israel two weeks ago, our um, our tour guide, his name was Yoav, it still is, 
I've called him Ruav multiple times like he was a Russian, but Yoav was our tour guide. He took us from one place to the next, and he said, in your country, you have a saying. Whenever it rains too much, you say, rain, rain, go away. Has anyone ever said that? Like, I've said that, I've thought that, I've believed that. Would it just stop raining? He said, we never say that because rain is crucial to us. Early rain for the farmer was there to soften the ground. Eventually, there's a late rain that would come that made the harvest fruitful. But between those two times, you waited. And you waited and you waited because that's all that you had to do. You made yourself busy with everything else that you could do. You did not sit on the side, but you waited for God to bring the second rain. Trust God with what you cannot control is the message of this story of the farmer. That we would trust God with the things that we cannot control. And in the midst of our waiting, that we would honor Him with what we can. The little things, the micro things that you have control over in your life, we get to choose as we patiently wait for God to come and call us home as people who belong to Jesus. He says, wait for me patiently in the midst of that. Trust me in the midst of that. Between these two things, this first rain, this last rain, this first coming, this second coming, that we would patiently wait, making ourselves busy with things that matter. How many of us, as we look at our walk with Jesus, are patiently waiting on God to draw us to Himself and to be with Him forever? How many of us are choosing to make ourselves busy with things of eternal significance? Trust God with what you can't control and honor Him with what you can. Secondly, we see the prophet. That's another illustration that James uses in chapter 5. The end of the prophet, which communicates to us that patience does not mean that we are inactive. God, depending on God, trusting in God in the middle of our difficulty, in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our already there yet not there-ness. We would depend on God and we would realize that all of our hardships are a platform to stand on and to say that our God is good, that He is gracious, that He is merciful, and that He has come to judge sin and to call His people to Himself. The third illustration that James uses is that of Job. When we see uh, the story of Job in the Old Testament, most believe that it's the oldest book in the Scriptures. Not the oldest chronologically, but it is the oldest book written first. And the story of Job is 42 chapters of hardship and difficulty. 42 chapters for Job to see the purpose of his struggle. Communicating to those of us who would follow Jesus. For those who are believers, what you are walking through is not the completion of the story. Because the final story can be summed up like this. Our God is compassionate and He is full of mercy. The Bible's full of that. The Bible takes us there as it talks about this one who we celebrate in just a couple of days on December the 25th, His first coming, who we as believers claim to long for His second. The idea of this God is one where we would patiently wait for Him. Making ourselves active with the mission of God in the midst of the waiting. The second thing we see from this passage is not only should we 
Should we patiently wait? Should we struggle patiently? We also see this, that we are to speak plainly. Verse 12, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. James has talked to us about words already in what we call chapter 2 of this book of James. As he talks to us about words, we're learning as to the importance of what we say and why we say it. Why what we say matters. To follow Jesus for us should lead to clear, honest speech. And James is pointing out for us to add a swear to that makes it look like our initial word was not enough. When we have to make promise on top of promise to communicate the validity of what we have said. It's similar to when someone says to you in conversation, you know, if I'm being honest, well, what does it communicate when someone says that? That beforehand you were not being honest. And James is saying that for those of us who are in Jesus, we should consider that our words are intended to point towards Jesus. Because for us to live in a way where we are relying on the exclamation point of a swear or an oath or an I'm, if I'm being honest, it communicates that what we were saying was not worth saying before. Our words should be dependable in a way that what we have said is reliable. So as we patiently wait for Jesus to bring us home, are we using our word to align with the things that we claim matter ultimately? Are we speaking plainly when we have conversations with others about what we believe about God and our role in this world that God has created? Speaking on behalf, uh, speaking to others, realizing that we are representations of our Creator. People created in the Imago Dei who have realized that they were created in the Imago Dei. We're God's people speaking to the world around us. The third thing we see is that we should not only speak plainly and struggle patiently, we should pray consistently. Let's look at these verses again because we can get lost in the weeds of this if we are not careful. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. James alluding to the eternal, not necessarily the immediate, though we do believe that God offers immediate healing in some situations. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. To talk about prayer in the way that James is in this passage. He is pointing out to us that in this great in-between of Christ's first coming and his second coming. That we are to be aligning ourselves with Christ as we communicate to him about all things. Now think about this. We as followers of Jesus, when we say that we pray just to make it today, we are talking to God and asking him to, <coughs> to intervene. However... 
For those who do not have a faith relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who we will, who we will think of this in just a couple of days, at best, prayer is this odd superstition. And at worst, it's self-deception. Because those, for those who do not believe, they just see people speaking into thin air, existing in the midst of a fairy tale, acting as if our fairy godmother is going to intercept our day. But friends, prayer is not speaking into the unknown, hoping against hope. The reason that, that we see prayer lined up with patience in this passage and lined up with our words in this passage is because we realize that if we are to have patience in this world, in the suffering and the struggle that we face each day, that our ability to be patient in the face of that is from God. And the way for us to attain said patience is to ask God for it. For those in Jesus, prayer is acknowledging that this God with us, that He has stepped into our world. As one theologian says, prayer is realizing that though we have one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, we have another foot firmly planted in God's healing, God's forgiveness, and God's hope. And so let's just be truthful as we're thinking through this passage this morning, walking together through what God has said to us from His Word. How many of us would acknowledge that even in the midst of a season where we're going to celebrate the goodness of God as family, that the world that we live in is difficult, that hardships abound, that struggle is real. But we would claim Jesus and we would know that in the very same breath, we can say that we have a foot planted in God's healing, God's hope, and God's forgiveness. Because prayer is us realizing and claiming over and over that God with us means that He is with us in every way, taking our sin and suffering on His shoulders so that we can patiently wait for Him in the in-between. Verse 16 talks about confessing your sins to one another. We'll, we'll spend a little bit more time with that as we get to verses 19 and 20. But this is just affirming the idea that we as followers of Jesus would realize that we don't exist in a vacuum, that your faith situation does not exist apart from other believers. We, we see the oil in verse 18, and there are lots of conversations about that. It's the idea of symbolically this oil... It, when we look at it, if I'm just giving you my humble interpretation and my humble understanding of a very difficult passage as I've read and considered and thought through what various people have said. Some have said it's medicinal. medicinal. Others have said that it's this idea of something supernatural taking place in the oil. I, neither of those seem to line up with the character of God that we see throughout Scripture. What we do see is it is symbolic representing that God is saying for those as they ask for his prayer that we would use this oil to say this moment is set apart for God's special attention and care. The reason that we can wrestle with this passage this way is because it's the only place in the Bible where we're told to do this and we see healing take place in scriptures apart from it. We see God moving in this passage telling us to consecrate ourselves as we communicate with him. Talking to him about everything. 
So we think through verses 13 through 16 and our very lives in light of who God is in the midst of a season where we have said that God is with us. If you are suffering, are you praying? As followers of Jesus, I don't expect not those who don't believe in Christ to pray and ask God for things. Is anyone cheerful? You should sing praises. How many praise singers do we have? Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they're to pray over him. How many of us are being prayed for in the midst of our sickness? God wants us to talk to him. In the great in-between, the gulf between the first coming and the second, in a world where we're already there, yet we are not yet there, God wants us to remember that he has not left us, that he is for us, and that we are people who he has, des- who he has desire that we would accomplish his purposes in this world. That the words that come out of the mouths of believers will be words that stand for truth and God and all that is truth that we find in God. Looking at this passage, wrestling with what it means for us to be the people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. We can see as James breaks this down for us that we are seeing that God wants his people to not forget that he is there. And this season, in the midst of all that we struggle with, in the midst of all that Christmas is, how often, if you were evaluating your life, and I'm evaluating mine, is Christmas somehow causing us to miss the very presence of God? He is there. That he wants this to be a celebration of him that our families would make much of him, that we would be people who care for him and care for others because of him. If you're, prayer, if you're cheerful, you should sing praises. If, if you're suffering, you should pray. If there's sickness, let us know to pray for you. Verses 19 and 20, we see we should also care lovingly. We see the idea of the elders of the church are not the only people to whom you are accountable. The very essence of Christianity is the community of it. God has called us community with himself, and because of the community we have with him, we have a community with others. We are bound to other people who are unlike us, who are different than us, that, are, that come from different backgrounds and situations than us. We are drawn to the message of God through what this scripture teaches My brothers and sisters, if anyone of you strays from the truth back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So we've got this group of men in our church who serve, serve as our church elders in this official capacity. However, because of what it means to be in the family of God, united by the community that we have with God through His Holy Spirit, we are to see that we belong to one another and that our growth is dependent upon one another. 
We are united with each other for the sake of Jesus. As we have had conversations about many times before, so many times there are followers of Jesus who truly believe that it is just them and Jesus. And that is something that undoes the entirety of Christian teaching. We are part of a community given to us by God. And that those people, though they will fail you, they are there to help you to be more like Jesus. That we exist for one another. Uh, the, for us as a church, we meet together in life groups and, and schedules affect us. But we do realize that we are gathered together around the teaching of Jesus. I recently w- was standing in a place where they tell me that Jesus may have taught. And in this little synagogue where they believed that others would stand together and learn from Jesus. It was not a room shaped like this. This idea of a stage and seats in front of a stage is a creation that we don't see necessarily in the Bible. This is something that came later. And there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with you all gathering together to look at whoever stands in front of you. But when we look at the place where Jesus would stand and teach, where rabbis would stand and teach, they were encircled by those who would have conversation and questions with what was being taught. The reason that we shove you, push you, encourage you, beg you, plead with you to be in a group beyond what you meet with in here on a Sunday morning is so that we would reflect that idea of gathering together around what's being taught. The difference is, in our settings, a person does not stand at center with all the answers. My life group will attest to the fact I don't have enough answers ever. But that we would gather together around the Word of God where we do find answers from Him. The passage that we look at is telling us that we are are gathered together to depend upon the Lord and we are to be united together around the message of Christianity, the message of Christ who is God with us. And friends, I'll be completely as what we vulnerable with you as I consider my life and your life for us to live in some type of spiritual isolation, it's going to get us nowhere. There's no advancement for the cause of Christ by us acting as if what we have been called to is just us and Jesus. Jesus does not affirm that. The scriptures that Jesus communicates to us over and over is what it means for us to be part of a body. So if you're here, and I know that this room is unique this morning because some of you are here for Christmas and you're here to celebrate and you've driven across the world and we are so thankful you're here. But if you are a regular in this community and you're, you gather together regularly with this family of faith, I would encourage, I would push you to plug into something beyond this room. Because we see, as we look into the Scriptures, that God has called us to be part of something smaller. And the church can be bigger only when it is regularly getting smaller. Uniting together for the cause of Christ around the message of Jesus. You're not going to grow spiritually if you're just trying to do so by listening to podcasts as you drive down the road, no matter how good they may be. You're not going to grow because you've bought... Or, or you've Spotified, the, the, I just made that a verb, you're welcome. Because you've Spotified a new playlist of worship songs. 
We grow together as we realize who we can trust, who we can grow with, who we can wrestle with the truths of God together with. James is pretty clear with us that we are a people that belong to God together. I love James. I'm glad that the five chapters that we spent in it are coming to their conclusion. I don't know if I could handle another week of him. He's very difficult. He doesn't end with the message of most books. Most books of the Bible are written and they're saying things like say goodbye to Pookie and your mama and them. That doesn't happen in James. James concludes with blunt forced truth for the believer. And many of us need that this morning. That we need to be part of the community of God. Waiting patiently for God. And we should be encouraged to speak truth on behalf of God. Thinking about what God has called us to and why God has called us to it. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to to bow our heads and just for a moment think about where we are in light of what we've been told to pray for. And I'm going to ask my elders to have their heads up. To have their heads up. I'm also going to ask just for the sake of, uh, of availability for my deacons and my life group leaders just to be aware I want to think through this passage together this morning in regard to praying because I would be making a mistake to talk about prayer and not encourage us to pray. If you're here with us this morning and you would just acknowledge that you struggle with the suffering this passage talks about, If you are suffering in some way, in some shape, some form this morning, right now, I am suffering. You don't have to tell me what you're suffering through, but you would just say, I'm suffering right now. Could you raise your hand right now? Right now. So right there where you are, in the midst of acknowledging that as a follower of Jesus, I encourage you just to begin to interact with Him this morning. Talk to Him this morning. Communicate with Him this morning. And if you would like for one of our elders, for one of our leaders in this church to pray over you as you talk to the Lord right now, could you just raise your hand? I want someone to pray for me this morning. If that's you, just raise your hand and we'll send someone to you. Okay. Is anyone cheerful this morning? Do you have a reason to be cheerful? In just a moment, we're going to sing. So sing loud. Loudly. Approach the throne of God because He's good to us and cares for us. Is anyone among us sick this morning? And you would say that your sickness is overwhelming to you. prayer of faith God has called us to will help us to see how he is at work that he is a God who saves
There's possibility, there's potential that you may need to confess your sin to another person in the room. I don't want you to feel like you need to wait to do so until after the service when Jared and the band begin to sing in just a moment. Feel free to move. That we would be a body together with God's purpose and His intent in mind. That we would pray earnestly, realizing that sometimes it we won't see immediate answers and immediate understanding on this side, but God, there's a possibility we will. So Lord, over our body this morning, as we begin to sing in just a moment, I pray that you will help us to sing praises to you. That we would suffer together, Lord, and struggle with what you teach us together. That your word will ring heavy and true in our hearts and minds. Lord, if there are those here who don't believe in you, I pray that you will call them from that disbelief or that unbelief. Call them to salvation. Call them to turn their hope to you. Call them to see that they have a person to whom they can focus on, that they are not praying hope against hope into thin air. But that you are for them in ways they would never understand. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray that we will sing cheerfully and with with heart-filled praise to you and celebrate all that you've done in our lives. Lord, let us have reason to be cheerful. We ask all this in Jesus' name.